In the book of Ecclesiastes, we're in chapter 2. We'll be picking up at the 12th verse, but a little bit of review. Uh, I, just a quick look back. Uh, verses 1 through 3, it says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. And the only one that really fits that description is Solomon. And, uh, and so, he is the one writing this. I don't know how many of you know the life of Solomon, but he really led a reprobate life for a good portion of his life. He looked to everything he could find to make him happy. And we'll look at that in a minute. But the idea is that he's recounting, I believe, in Ecclesiastes, his search uh, in a sense. And so he says, as he's looking at the, the, the point in time in his life, he's saying, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And that's kind of a, a general statement to the, 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 the book. He's saying everything is vanity. By the way, the word vanity doesn't mean meaningless, which some of your translations use. It actually means vapor or breath. And uh, it also means like a wisp, in, in a description of it, like a wisp of smoke. And so when you're looking at, at, at it, and he's basically saying that the things of life are like, it's all vanity. It's like trying to grab a hold of a wisp of smoke. And you can make it disturb it, you can do all sorts of things, but when it comes back, you open it up, there isn't any in your hand. And that's kind of the picture that I want you to grab a hold of as we go through this. Uh, he goes on and he speaks uh, in the next verses, you know, a generation comes and a generation goes. Uh, you know, uh, the sun rises, the sun sets, and the sun rises again. There's weather cycles that repeat themselves. The, 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 the streams flowing to the sea and, and, and going back to the lakes and flowing to the sea again. All of these things that he's talking about in chapter 1. And he says, people are forgotten over time. And I was thinking about that. I recall that my grandfather was a really well thought of man in the community that he lived in. He was their first full-time teacher in their first schoolhouse in Lompoc, California. He stayed in Lompoc, California his entire life. He died there at age 94. He stayed in the teaching profession into his 70s. And uh, he was the principal of the school, and that, but he was always in a classroom. He loved especially teaching middle school. His uh, belief was if you could win the the heart of a middle schooler, you could lead them anywhere. But he was teaching in a one-room schoolhouse for years and years, uh, uh, well into the 40s. And and, uh, so he had high school as well. I mean, he taught all the levels. And it's kind of interesting back then when they were teaching. You went from grade to grade according to your ability to accomplish the work of that grade. So when my grandfather started teaching in Lompoc at age 19, uh, he had students that were older than him uh, because they could only go to school once or, or twice, you know, once or twice a, 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 a season or a year, if you will, 
And, and so it took them a long time to get through to the eighth grade was most of their goal. And so, uh, you know, I, I look at him and he was just an amazing person. He touched so many lives over that period of time. And uh, when he passed away, his funeral service had to be moved to the uh, high school auditorium, not auditorium, but gymnasium. Because so many people came. There were people that literally flew in from out of the United States that were his students and had been his students from beginning to end of high school, you know, all that time. And they, they highly regarded him. And it was so amazing because I had no idea, really, how special my grandfather was. And because by the time I get into the picture, he's already retired. <laughs> You know, and and so uh, uh, I was I was really amazed at, at this. But if you were to talk to people today in Lompoc, California, they know there's a Hapgood school and they know there's a Hapgood road, but they don't know who Art Hapgood is. They know his pictures hanging on the wall in the in the in the office, but they don't know why. And I, it dawned on me as I was reading this that's so true. After a couple of generations, if you've been influential at all, after a couple of generations, people have forgotten who you are. Now, somebody will say, well, wait a minute. We're still reading C.S. Lewis and we're still reading Charles Spurgeon. And we're still... But you really don't know much about them. You know their writings are good and you can be depended on, but you don't know, for instance, Charles Spurgeon. What you know about him is probably limited to, to what you read in his sermons. He was a man that battled... Uh, despair and 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 depression and physical health problems most of his life, you know. And and yet, look, you look at what he wrote and what he preached, and and, and with such confidence in who God is and what God would do. I, I, the reason why I share that with you is is the general picture is, is that people are forgotten in a period of time, and and that's what Solomon is pointing out here is everything is, is like a vapor. It, there's nothing that lasts. And yet, the cycle of the things that go on and on and on are repetitive, keep going on and on and on and on. And somehow, how do you, you know, when, when people get involved in it, we, we, we lose track of it. You know, we know where the, the, the river is always going to do this and do that and we can count on it. But when it comes to the people, we lose, we lose it over a period of time. So, it really is... What do I do to make a difference? And where do I really find contentment? Where am I going to find true enjoyment, joy, you know, uh, in life? Now, we know the answer from our Christian perspective. The majority of you here I look at and I've seen over the, a period of time and, and, and know that you come here and that you have a faith and a belief in Christ. And you know the answers to these things. But understand, so does Solomon. But what he's writing here is the process of going through his depression and his despair over having to deal with what he's come to understand. So that's what we're going to be looking at as we go through this. And somebody will say, isn't that a kind of a depressing book then? Part of it is. But have any of you ever experienced a depression? Or a frustration? Or a sadness or a grief? Okay, is there a way out of it? 
Yes. And we'll get to that too. So, as he went through this first chapter, we would basically say that what is implied is there's no contentment, there's no satisfaction for, for man. And uh, so, in chapter 2, we're, uh, you know, uh, he gets started. Uh, he, he, we, we've gone over first part of it last week with uh, uh, BJ. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. In other words, I can't find pleasure over here, you know, in day-to-day things and stuff like this, so I'm going to indulge myself. And I'll try pleasure. He says, I'm, I'm going to try, in the midst of this, I'll try wine. Uh, I'll try building stuff. And so he's indulging himself. And I thought it was interesting as I was going through this, I was reminded of, of, of a couple of things. And, and just a, a quick uh, look back at, at, in 1 Kings where there's a lot of the information about Solomon. In chapter 4 it says uh, that, that it gives the list of Solomon's provision for one day of his Temple, not temple, but uh, uh, palace people. And this is, I want you to look at this carefully. So this is chapter uh, 4, starting with verse 22. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour. Now that, that it's up, it's some estimated that it's as little as six, as much as ten bushels in a core. So we're talking about 200 bushels of flour. Uh Day, okay. Sixty, you know, sixty cores of meal, ten and ten fat oxen, twenty pasture-fed cattle, prime beef, in other words, a hundred sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates and and uh, from Tiphesh to Gaza over all the kings west of the Euphrates, and he had peace on all sides around him. And so he had all these people bringing to him their tribute, if you will, uh, as he, he ruled over them. And so he had this tremendous wealth. He had these huge fields uh, of, of, of cattle and sheep. And, and he, can you imagine, you know, how many people could be fed with this kind of a, uh, a daily thing? Some people estimate that it, it could be easily, you know, thousands of people fed with this much food. And he did it daily. It was just part of what went on through the through his palace. And so he's, he, you know, he's he's in. What you see here is he's indulging himself in everything. He's and and, and even to the point of. Of uh, you know, he's influenced the the people around him, the countries around him. By the way, how did he influence the countries around him? By marrying the the leaders' daughters. How many wives did he have? Seven hundred. <laughs> how many concubines did he have? Three hundred. Okay. So he indulged himself sexually too. But most of his, his wives probably never saw him. 
they were simply marriage of 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 purpose to have peace between uh, one side or the other of a of a border. Seven hundred wives, three hundred concubines, and so we note you know all of this provision. You can think of uh, if you had that many women, then all of their attendees and all this kind of stuff. You start to see where all this food was going. <laughs> you know, he had a lot of people to take care of. Our focus today is, is first off, I want you to understand, we'll look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1 uh, of, of Ecclesiastes. Excuse me. Instead, I want to go to verse 16. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart was, had experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to show, show wisdom and to show madness and folly. I perceived that this was also a striving, was but a striving after wind. All of this vanity, vanity, striving after wind was another picture that I wanted to make sure you had. Can you catch the wind and hold it? Well, only in, in fables uh, and legends. But, but the idea is, no, you can't. And so, uh, he, he's testing for pleasure in, in chapter 2. And he goes on and, and, and now we look at verse 11. He says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and is striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. In other words, trying indulgence. Giving over to every desire. If you read through the Kings, you see he, there was nothing he held himself back from. Now, it's an interesting thing. All the time through that, he was doing it to, to see what joy it would bring him. And it was all fleeting. None of it lasted. How many of you have ever had, you know, the best meal you've ever tasted? And you, you recommend that restaurant and, and you went out to it and all this kind of stuff. And, and 20 years later, you might not even be able to remember the restaurant's name and where it was. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a fleeting thing. Or you start to use that as your measuring rod and you compare everything else to it. And, and that comes up short. So, in other words, it still becomes vanity, vapor, uh, a, a wisp of smoke. It doesn't have any long-term relationship with you. And that's what he's experiencing. Um, so, he says, vanity and striving, like trying to, to strive after the wind, and there's nothing to be gained under the sun. By the way, the phrase under the sun is really important. Because under the sun literally means of this world. It's, you know, we normally say, you know, under the sun. It means excluding heavenly things, excluding God. I am trying to do this, basically, when he uses the phrase under the sun, I am trying to do this how? On my own. I am ignoring God in the sense that I'm not calling on Him. It's not that, that, that Solomon ever stopped believing in the one true God. 
But he certainly mixed things up when he started marrying all these women from foreign countries and letting them set up temples and idols for their uh, and worship places for their gods. And he would go with them and worship with them. You know, I don't think he ever abandoned the context of the one true God, but he, he didn't honor him. He actually slid backwards, if you will. And so we have this picture. Well, what I want to look at today is two more areas that he tests, if you will. One is how to live, living in a sense of moral or wise sort of way. And so he says, I, in, in chapter 2, verse 12, is where I want to pick up for today. And, and we want to, I just want to go 12 through 17 to start. So, as a result of verse 11, not finding happiness there, so I tried again. You know, I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. Madness and folly go together. He didn't try three things. He tried two things. Wisdom and madness and folly. In other words, following a wise path or following the fool's path. Okay? And he says, Consider which, considering these things. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Now, based on what we've read and know, who is ever going to do more than he did? So far as history goes, no one has yet. No one has yet matched his wealth. No one has yet. How many movies are, are made about finding part of what Solomon had? King Solomon's mine or King Solomon's gold or King Solomon's this or that. You know, uh, and, and, and being unbelievable untold wealth. Just, and that would be just a portion of it. So historically speaking, we go back and we look at it that way. He, he says, who can ever come after the king? Uh, uh, the, it can do more. Only what has already been done. Is, in other words, I've already done it. The best they could do is to copy me. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. So there is more, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes on his head, but uh, in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in all the days to come all will have been for long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. Meaning without, without meaning. It just didn't have purpose. It didn't have any enjoyment to me. For all is vanity and is striving after the wind. So again, looking at this closer, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. The idea is that my eyes, I'm, I, they're white where they belong. If I'm wise, I'm looking at where I'm going. The fool, he just, he just goes out blindly as in darkness. In other words, as if he were blind. I can see clearly, and I'm doing these things that are right by the, the sense of of, of Prudent, and the fool is over here just going nuts, and 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 then he then he says, uh, you know, 
and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. What is he talking about when he says the same event? Death. Doesn't matter who you are, death is inevitable. We always have that old saying, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you can be sure of at least two things death and taxes. And, and uh, the idea is, is that death is a given. So, if, it, if, if what happened to the fool is, is going to happen to me, then why have I even tried? That's what he's basically saying here. What's the purpose in even trying? What's the easy way? Have you ever thought about that, what the easy way is? The, the, the person who goes to school and does simply what is necessary to get through the class. And he gets on his report card a C. Okay? And he's content. I didn't need any more than that. All I want to do is get through this and done with it. I can remember my dad when I moved in to live with my biological dad. I think I've mentioned this before. He dropped me off at the school to get my classes. When I came home, when he came home, he wanted to see my list of classes and he looked at them and he says, How do you plan to get into college with this? I didn't even know college had two L's in it. Uh, you know, I, I you know, I had no intention. College was never in my vocabulary at that point. So, you know, why, and, and my thing was, was, I'm, you know, why, I, I just, as long as I get through, I'm fine. I have to say, I played the fool. I, I wasn't looking to get anything out of what was being offered to me. I probably missed, especially from my fr- freshman year backwards, I probably missed tremendous opportunity to, to have stuff and, and, and to learn. From my sophomore year on, I took advantage of having some fantastic teachers, and I was really blessed. And all the way through school, college, uh, and, and, and afterwards, Bible college, uh, I, I was blessed. I had a different attitude. But what is the same, but it, it doesn't matter when it all comes and is said and done, and it's at the end of life, I'm still going to what? Die. And so, education isn't even the answer that, that, that we would be looking for here if we were, we were looking with Him. Uh, we're looking for an answer that brings real contentment, real solid uh, idea of, of enjoyment and, 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 and you know, something worth living for. And He's saying, I can't find it. What happens to the fool will happen to me. So why even try? And I said in my heart that this also is nothing but a vapor or a wisp of smoke. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in those days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. And so what is his response? I hate life. Now, we notice, though, it says, I hated life. Past tense. He's writing an account of what he's gone through. 
What is done under the sun is grievous to me. Means no benefit. I, it just disappointed me. For all is vanity and striving after wind. So now we have the fact that he's tried pleasure, indulgence, feeding his every want and desire, and it comes up empty as far as long term joy and, and, and happiness. And so he says, what if, I, if I, uh, I live the role of the wise since God has given me this wisdom and I live out this role in, in life? There's so much, uh, let me tell you, he, and you read through other parts of, of his life in, in, in Kings and, and First Kings and you'll realize you know, all the things that he went through. Being wise and being a wise leader is far more difficult than playing the fool. It's far more demanding and far more rests on your shoulders. And there's far more stuff going on that's your responsibility and that you're responsible for. But if I end up the same as the guy that took no responsibility and no care for life, why did I bother? Is there a purpose? Is there a purpose? That's what we're really starting to head for. So I hated life. I put in my parentheses on my notes, again, is that all there is? You call the, we went through that when, a couple of weeks ago, the Peggy Lee song. Is that all there is? And why don't I just give up? Well, no, that's not going to work either. That's just caving in. I've got to find an answer. Especially when we're looking at Solomon. And so we get into verses 18 through 23. He says, I hated all my toil. Toil is all my hard, hard work. Now, does the fool toil? No, the fool does only what he has to do to get by. So if he's a slave, he does the minimum work he has to do and that keeps him from getting beaten and make sure that he has food. If he's, if he's a free man, he does exactly enough to, to have food on his table and a roof over his head and nothing more. He's not striving for his best. He just wants to get by. And, and so I, I hated all my toil, all my hard work. In which I toil under the sun. Again, we have that phrase, under the sun. Meaning, on this earth, in this world, discounting God's involvement. I'm not looking to God at this point. Just myself and, and, and the world under the sun. I hated it. Uh, and, and, and he, he says, uh, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. There's the second big realization that he's coming to is everything I've got, everything that I've accumulated, when I die, it's going to go to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled. And used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. In other words, there's going to be someone that's going to get everything that I have worked hard for. And if they have been the fool and they get everything I worked hard for, how undeserved is that? How unfair, unequitable, however you want to put it. So I turned about and 
gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. I was thinking, and I can't remember how it went, gloom, despair, excessive misery you know, on the old hee-haw show. And the bottom line was, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. You know, but that's the you know the idea is despair is just I I, I feel like giving up. So I turned around and gave up my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun again on the earth, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. In other words, they don't deserve it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Now when he says great evil here, he's saying an injustice. This is a great injustice. If For me to, do, to work so hard to get so much and then to leave it to someone who just doesn't deserve it. How inequitable. How unfair. What's the point? What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. So basically what he's saying here is, is all his striving of heart, meaning he put everything into it, with which he toils beneath the sun here in this world, for all his days are full of sorrow. Uh, in other words, I didn't get any joy out of it. I was looking for joy. I was looking for happiness. I was looking for, for something that would touch me, and, 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 but I, I, I didn't find it. So his work is a vexation. I had to look that one up to be sure. Vexation means frustration. It just means basically it was a frustration. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. The idea of that is that it keeps him awake at night worrying about all his stuff and what's going to happen to it. It's kind of interesting if you start to think about it. I have all this stuff I've accumulated all this wealth and now I'm worrying about where it's going to go when I'm gone. I don't know how many of you have that problem. My parents are both dead. I am up for adoption. I just make yeah, sure you understand that. Um, the, the reality is, is that you know it keeps me awake at night worrying about this. So it's all worthless to me. It's ruining my life. What do I do? What has man from all his hard work? Is this really all there is? Work hard and then die? Or work foolishly and then die? The answer to it is no. That's not all there is. And we're going to get the first glimmer of light, if you will, in the next few verses. What happens when God gets into the picture? 
Verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment. The idea of enjoyment here is uh, to see good in the world. To see good with my life. To be happy about my life. To see enjoyment. It's more than just feeling good today. It's a long-term context of I have great joy because I can see something in the reference of this in in all that He's toiled for. This also I saw, look at this, from the hand of God. When you put God into the picture, enjoyment, the thing that has been missing for Him, the lack of contentment, He dissatisfied, He recognizes that God's part in all of this, if you will, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That's what I need. For apart from Him, in other words, apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? In other words, if, if all you have is what's under the sun, in other words, if all you have is the stuff of the world, Who is going to find this enjoyment? This is what I'm looking for, he's basically saying. I'm not looking for a a moment of of joy or exhilaration. I had all of that. And it left me ultimately empty. And it's amazing. I don't know how many times I've seen over the years that I've read of people's biographies, seen people's lives through, through the multimedia and stuff like that that we have available to us, of people who seem to have everything and are miserable, even to the point of committing suicide. And you wonder, didn't they had everything. What, 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 what was missing? The word enjoyment, long-term confidence that this has value, has meaning. Not just being temporarily okay, but seeing in the long run, everything has a purpose. Everything has a value to it. God gets into the picture and you begin to see there is a purpose to all of this. It's not just a vapor. There is a reason for all of this. Nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from Him, who can eat or, or who can have enjoyment? For to the, In other words, God provides everything. By the way, even for the fool. God is the provider of all things. Every breath we take is a gift from God. Now, take a minute and, and, and go backwards here outside of this and, and a side note to all of this. We come back to the words that we've used before. What do I deserve? Well, I'm a sinner. And because I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, my wages of sin follow me. The wages of sin is death. Death in the sense of physical death. Death in the sense of separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we have that, this, this picture of when God gets into the thing, there's value, there's purpose, there's meaning. Okay? 
So he says, apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? In other words, if, you know, nobody can. Who can? Nobody. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge. And he adds another picture. We've talked about wisdom and knowledge before. He adds the word joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. In other words, those who ignore God, ultimately their, their blessings go to the people of God. I'm not going to get into detail of how that works, but I do know as I read through the Old Testament especially how that, that's so true. And that's we have this picture of enjoyment, contentment, satisfied. This is what's been missing. And, we, and what's necessary is to recognize God's part in this. He is the one who is providing. It comes from His hand. It comes back to that idea of Jehovah Jireh. God the provider. So, my question here was, where does joy really come from? To the one who pleases Him. How do you please God? Let me give you a couple of suggestions which I think are... Interesting only in the sense that it, it kind of presents a, a, a picture that you're not expecting. Proverbs chapter 1. And most of you are already knowing where I'm going with this. The beginning of wisdom comes from something very unique. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And if you go into chapter 9, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So knowledge and wisdom comes from fearing the Lord. What he was looking for in the world, and he was thinking he was using wisdom, what he was using was sensuality. He was using a lot of other things. And the fact that he was wise, he had a way to manipulate, he was smart, and he was using his wisdom outside of God. To figure out his life. By the way, what does that make him? A wise fool. <laughs> a sophomore. Uh, but uh, anyway, the idea is, is, is that picture is, is that joy is really coming from the, the one who... You know, it, it comes to the one who pleases him. To please him is to begin with acknowledging him. To fear Him doesn't mean to, to shake and tremble, although there may be times that that's part of it. But the real idea of fear, fear, of fear is to be in awe of who He is, the Creator of the universe, all things coming through Him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, It is impossible to please God without faith. So faith is to have a belief. That God is who He says He is. Uh, it says, now faith is the assurance, in chapter 11 of, of Hebrews it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Do we see God? No. Do we believe God? Yes. There's where our faith comes in. For by it the people of old received their con commendation 
By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, God made it out of nothing. In other words, we start with this idea, God is and God created. Now, if we go back to Genesis, how did He create it? He said, let it be. In Colossians chapter 1, there's a a picture. uh, Some of your headings and some of your Bibles will say the preeminence of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything He might be preeminent. What a, you know, God is there. He is sovereign. He put it all together. Everything that moves, everything that goes, everything that exists came through Him. By the way, that tells us who Jesus is then too. Jesus is what? God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All reflecting one God. We sing God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. By faith, it is the only way we can please God. Believe in what God says He's going to do. So I'm going to throw one at you. Romans 8.28 says that, that, that everything works together for the good for those who what? Okay, do you believe that? Does your life reflect your confidence in that? Or are you like me? And go around doing a lot of things in your own strength, in your own flesh, in your own ability, and turn around and then say, oh, by the way, God, (laughs) you know, especially when it doesn't work out, and for a moment I say, God, where were you? Yeah. And the next thing you realize was, well, I didn't haven't included him in any of my decisions for the last several days or weeks. Uh, no wonder I'm in a pit. How about a more difficult passage, still in the book of Romans, chapter five? There so therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Okay, so there we are again. Peace with God. How do we be at peace with God? Through faith. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God in what they were longing for to have peace with God. We have the Messiah. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand. And we rejoice. We have enjoyment. We rejoice. This is the joy. We have great joy in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice, have great joy, in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. 
But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have received reconciliation. Remember this thing started with the idea of that uh, we are justified by peace. We have peace with God. What is peace with God? To know that you have been reconciled. To know that you are right with God. To know that there is a God who cares about you. Like I said, this is just a brief shaft of light that comes out of Ecclesiastes. But it's enough to let us know that that. God was working on him through all of this. You know, there, there, there's an argument for some as to whether or not Solomon was saved. Well, first off, saved doesn't work the same way in the Old Testament as the New Testament in the concept of, of he was waiting for the Messiah. Okay, And so we don't look at it quite the same way. But was he reconciled to God? Was he at peace with God? And my answer is, I believe so. You say, but look at all the stuff he did. Yeah. Well, I never heard them say, I'm sorry, God. But it was, we look how God worked with him, treated him, and, and he got through this. And we see these shafts of light. We realize that all the way through this, he, was, he would turn back and, and, and grab a hold of God. And really, until we get to chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, where we clearly see it. Okay? So if you want to read ahead, it's not a spoiler, it's worth it. And, and uh, you know, the idea is that we are ones who have this love of God who has blessed us, uh, who has created all things in such a way as to, to be our Savior. I, I, I'm thinking of, of going back uh, to Colossians uh, to finish this up uh, where I left off in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, verse 18, it says, He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. And then it goes on, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. I wanted to read that part because I think as we go into communion today, what we do is we go in with a great thanksgiving of what God has done. Even when we are, are, are pursuing our wildest craziness, trying to figure out what life is all about, God doesn't... He's there. And He doesn't waste any of our experiences. Some of the worst things that you may have gone through in your life the worst tragedies, the worst experiences that you may have gone through in your life, God will not waste those. He will use them first off to build you up in the faith, but He might use those things for you to be help build others up in the faith as well. If you're just resting with what's under the sun, it's all but a vapor. It's a wisp of smoke. It's nothing to be grasped. You can't grab a hold of it. But if you're looking at God in the sense of why He's being presented here, God can't be got a hold of even though you can't see Him. He has a hold of us.
When we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the Son of God. He says we're saved. God has grabbed a hold of us. And through His Word, I believe we're able to grab back and, and grasp a hold of Him. So let's go to communion. Uh, ask the, the worship team to come back up. And ask the ushers to come and pass out the, the communion. And hold it until we've all been served that we might share together.